the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. It says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome back into the Lions 24/7 podcast. You might be wondering, what are we doing on a Friday here? Because we don't normally do this. Well, it's just been a jam-packed week. On Tuesday, we spent an hour and a half breaking down the end of the regular season and, and the start of the postseason and all the things that go into that, including the transfer portal. We're going to get back to focus on the transfer portal on this episode here on a Friday because that portal opens Monday. We don't plan to come back to you with another episode until Tuesday. So we'll do a, a one final job of setting the stage, talk about some of the offers that are already out there from Penn State in the transfer portal with Tyler Calvaruso momentarily. Uh, but first, we go back to the news that brought us a Thursday podcast. So if you missed that one, it didn't happen too long ago. We came out at, you know, on Thursday evening uh, with our breaking news uh, with Andy Kotalinki uh, uh, taking over at a Kotal Linky taking over as the uh, new offensive coordinator here at Penn State. I did a much better job pronouncing that throughout the show on Thursday than I did to start it here on a Friday. Uh, but to help learn more about Kotal Linky and what he's going to bring here to Happy Valley in terms of a play caller, in terms of, of an offensive mind, and additionally just along with a staff fit and how he's going to deal with players. We have Michael Swain right now. He covers Kansas, the Jayhawks, for 24-7 sports, does a fantastic job. I know basketball season is usually like right there, centerpiece focus, but I guess it says a lot about Kansas. It says a lot about Kotal Nicky, uh, the fact that that you know, football's front and center here on December 1st out in Lawrence. 100%, man. I was at a basketball game earlier this week, and I didn't care about what was going on on the floor. I was very much trying to figure out what's going on with – um, Andy Kordonecki and his future at, at KU. So you're right. And it speaks to the job that Lance Leipold and the entire coaching staff did where here we are in December now and everyone's talking about football, right? There's not a lot of discussion going on about, you know, the Kansas versus UConn top five matchup going on at home tonight, but everyone's focused on football. So I'm excited. I'm a big football guy anyway. So it makes it pretty fun. Let's keep your focus there for a bit longer. We're about to get to know uh, Nicky a lot uh, more in the, in the coming months, in the coming weeks. Uh, he's going to get to work here in December, much like Manny Diaz did a couple a couple years ago, kind of working in the background, taking notes, and then taking over fully come January when this team finishes out its bull run. Uh, but, but in terms of what you witnessed at Kansas, it was a three-year sample size. Prior to that, he's at Buffalo. Prior to that, he's at with with, with uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. And the entire time, he's got the same head coach. Um, so let's start there. Is that the most surprising part of this aspect, that he has come to the point in his career he's willing to part ways uh, with Lance Leipold? And what do you make of that decision? Yeah, totally. So loyalty is a big thing, I think, for a lot of people around the key football program. And Lance has brought the same kind of core with him along the way. You know, Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator for KU, has been Leipold's defensive coordinator since his first season at Wisconsin Whitewater. Like we're talking over a decade of spending time together and for Kodernicki to leave, I think, shows the obviously the status that Penn State has in the college football world. And I think Kodernicki has made it no secret that he wants to be a head coach one day. And how do you become a head coach the fastest? Well, you might argue, hey, you stay at Kansas next season, they're going to return a lot. And maybe with the great season, he gets head coaching looks. That's one path. I think the other path is going to Penn State with Drew Aller, Singleton, and some of the sweet skill position players they have and showing out for a season or two and then doing what maybe Joe Moorhead did, where you move on and get an even higher profile head coaching job. So I think it speaks to Penn State, what they have and the talent and the opportunity that he decided to jump. I think this time last year, 
when Key renegotiated that contract and got the $700,000 buyout to move laterally to another OC job, I think a lot of people around KU thought that was it. He, and Kornicki wasn't going to leave unless it was a head coaching job because there aren't many programs that are willing to dish out 700K to get an offensive coordinator. So, again, it speaks to Penn State, the opportunity, but also I think Kornicki's ambitions to be a head coach at the highest level that he decided to take this job. Michael, right before we sat down to record, Penn State put out a press release uh, announcing this officially. That didn't happen until uh, Friday afternoon here. Of course, we were able to confirm that on Thursday with our reporting at Lines 24-7. Uh, but, but just to really quickly address what James Franklin said here, because he said he was looking for a head coach of the offense. And, and if I could just quote this real quickly, quote, our search process for an offensive coordinator was extensive and, th and thorough throughout. Andy's name kept uh, rising to the top of that list. Not only were we impressed with Andy's history of successful offensive production, but he has really proven an ability to win at all levels and play to the strengths of his personnel. In his 18 years as a play caller, he has a track record of coming into a program and improving offenses, especially through explosive plays, third down conversions, and red zone success. Now, third down conversions were a huge problem this year in the two games that mattered most, Michigan and Ohio State, a combined 5 of 30, 17% conversion rate in those two matchups. And explosive plays were, were lacking throughout this campaign. It was a pretty stunning aspect of the failures of this offense under Mike Yersich. So can we begin with, with, with those explosive plays? Yeah because I know folks are, are looking at the, the talent and the personnel here, and it doesn't match up with the results that we saw on the field here in 2023. I'll tell you who's really pissed off that Andy Kornicki's going to Penn State. It's safeties coach and defensive backs coaches around the Big Ten because when you look at – and Tyler, you'll realize this when you watch a game live. Like There's so many times in a game that you'll watch a play happen and you're just thinking, what the heck just happened to the defensive backs? What are they looking at? Because guys are running wide open. You've seen it all the time. And look, KU does not have NFL talent. Like they've got maybe an offensive lineman, Dominic Pooney, on the left tackle. He's an NFL guy. And then the running back, Devin Neal. Outside of that, it's a lot of guys that are great college players, but not a lot of NFL guys. And I think the ability for Kornicki to bring the best out of those guys is what you've seen happen. And it happens through scheme. And that's exactly what KU does and, and obviously what Penn State will do now going forward. It's a lot of building off of multiplicity. You know, I remember West Virginia's defensive coordinator sat in front of media after playing KU like perplexed because he didn't like KU ran the same plays just out of different looks and it just completely confused West Virginia. And so it's the ability to make things very complex for defenses and then for the offense to be able to understand it. And that's why spring ball is so important. And you saw the evolution happen, right? In 2021, this coaching staff was brought in without a spring. They got brought in in April, which is so late. And the offense that year wasn't great. But then you saw the jump last year where all of a sudden it looks like they're running triple option at times. And then they're hitting the opposing team deep. You know, it was just a very explosive offense. And so what they do is it's a lot of outside zone looks. And it's a lot of multiplicity within that where, you know, Aller isn't necessarily a, a dual threat guy. I don't think he's going to be a, someone like, you know, Jalen Daniels, where he's going to run for 100 yards a game a ton. But he's mobile and he's a big guy and they're going to use the, his legs to their advantage. And so I think overall, right, what they do is getting people's eyes in the wrong spot. It's a lot of motion. I think KU ranked in the top third of college football in motion, pre-snap motion. So it's a lot of getting defense's eyes in the wrong spot and all of a sudden hitting them behind with guys that are wide open on crossing routes, deep routes, like things like that. And obviously Aller has the arm, right, to, to make those plays happen. We saw Jalen Daniels put up some really impressive numbers last year, off to a strong start here, and before his injury derailed that, and, and they had to improvise. I want to talk about what that improvisation looked a little bit like, because I think it was another showcase of why this is considered to be a strong offensive football mind coming to State College. But focusing on the quarterback, Daniels, the last two years since the start of 2022, 70% completion, 30 total touchdowns, five interceptions, and he also, along the way, that he got about 500-plus rushing yards racked up so what did the offense look like maybe in 2021 versus what it looked like in the past couple of years and how did you see the coaching staff particularly the offensive coordinator playing to the strengths of his personnel because that's something that, that james franklin mentions in his first statement about this guy and i don't think that's by accident 
No, it shouldn't be by accident. And he does a really good job of building around what people's strengths are. And I think it's even better to not even count 2021, but look this year and the difference in the offense when Jalen Daniels was healthy and playing. And then when Jason Bean was in their quarterback, because, you know, I think a lot of people look at the two and say, oh, they're both mobile and they're both guys that can run the ball. Well, Jason Bean does not like contact. And so KU, what they did with Bean was a little bit different than with Daniels, where Daniels, you can run option between the tackles. You can run option to the strong side, weak side. Like it does not matter. With Bean, you're not going to run a triple option look through the middle because he's not going to want to take that hit from the linebacker where Daniels didn't really care about that type of thing. So you see what Kornicki does in terms of keeping the scheme the same for the tight ends, for the offensive line, for the wide receivers, but maybe tweaking some of that play calling to where it fits the quarterback that's in the game for them. So when KU was at its best, right, you look at their 5-0 start last year, you look at them starting strong this year. It's a team that really keeps the defense on its heels through that run game. And it is triple option if you want to call it that it's just outside zone heck they did wildcat this year right they are very multiple within that look and so it's all about just like i mentioned earlier right creating pressure on the defense and they really use the quarterback as kind of this chess piece that can do so many different things and you mentioned the completion percentage for daniels and a lot of that is because they do a lot of quick passes and it's a reason why ku ranks towards the top of the big 12 and allowing not a ton of sacks it's because it's a lot of quick game passing you know, boom, boom, you read, you react, you throw. And so you put all this together and it creates an offense that hits explosive plays, but I think is also able to be somewhat consistent over the course of four quarters. Jason Bean had to step up and and in that last start uh, under the direction here of uh, Kotal Nicky, 13 of 17 passing against Cincinnati, 76% completion rate, two touchdowns, 250 yards. He had 90 yards on the ground uh, with two scores as a rusher. Um, so they found a way. And, and I want to go back to the Oklahoma matchup because as I was mm-hmm. working my way through Jason Bean's game log here um, as the quarterback who stepped up with Daniel's sideline, I noted that that wasn't really a beautiful stat line against Oklahoma in a 38 to 33 win that caught a lot of attention against the top 10 ranked Sooners squad. He goes 15 of 32 passing, two interceptions, under 50 percent completion. Did make did make a dent on on the ground, 62 yards with a 38 yard rush in the, along the way and a touchdown. How did they get to 38 points? How did they beat Oklahoma when the quarterback struggling? Because there was a couple matchups here, Michigan. Yeah. And Ohio State, where Drew Aller is under 50% completion rate, and you're trying to figure out how Mike Yersich is going to get him some help, and they didn't. And they had 10 possessions in those second halves where they could have tied it or taken the lead, and it did not happen. And so Drew Aller is going to be the focal point there. Where do you think maybe Oklahoma was able to do when, when their quarterback wasn't lighting it up against uh, – I'm sorry, Kansas was able to do when their quarterback yeah. wasn't lighting it up against Oklahoma? Well, it helps when your defense scores a touchdown to open the game. Yes. You know, that that definitely helps you get to the point total. But I think, you know, it, it's kind of finding a way. And let's be honest here, right? Jason Bean is a good college quarterback, right? He can make big throws. He can run. But golly, he makes some really terrible decisions. And I think you saw that against Oklahoma, where there are really two times where KU runs different play calls and, and he just can't read the defense and throws an interception and Kodernicki came out after and said, Hey, you know, I've got to call better plays. And I'm sure we could probably hit on that. Cause I think KU fans will say too, Penn state fans got to be ready to pull their hair out at times because it's going to happen. Like there's many times where you're frustrated with the play calls, but I think in that game, KU did such a good job of adapting, right? Early on, it was, you know, about kind of running the ball and trying to figure it out. And then the last drive, it was, you had to go. And like I mentioned, right guys get open deep down the field with this offense. And it just happened that Bean all of a sudden kind of found that rhythm late in the game and leads them on that game winning drive. So, you know, I think in terms of the scheme heading into a game, Kodernicki does a very good job of making things weird. And that's what that game was. It was a lot of motion. It was a lot of pre-snap movement, guys moving all over the place. They introduced the wildcat in that game. So he really did find a way to just, confuse Oklahoma. And look, Brennan Venables is a defensive coach. That's a defensive staff over there. And to have a game plan like that, where you really confuse the opposing defense for most of the game and make their linebackers look slow because they're thinking too much like that, I think is what Penn state fans should be excited about. 
We had three different running backs combined for, for four touchdowns, a final minute drive there in the victory over Oklahoma. And obviously one of those signature moments so far uh, for Kotal Nicky in, in his career as a play caller. And let's talk about the autonomy that he has had, because uh, the, yeah. the phrase Blanche has come up when discussing uh, how he's been able to handle his offense within that facility at Kansas. And now he's going to transition to a new boss for the first time. Uh, 11 years as an offensive coordinator with the same guy looking over your shoulder or really not looking over your shoulder. It's a pretty sweet gig that a lot of people would love to have uh, as an offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? And at times, how has that been reflected on Saturdays, whether for good or bad, and him being able to coach with such confidence? I got a good story I can tell you here in a minute. Um, you know, Lance Leipold is very much the, the modern day CEO and he sits in the back of the meeting room and just observes, right? He's not going to chime in and say, Oh, we need to do this or we need to do that. That's not who he is. He lets his coaches coach and he stays out of it and he manages from afar. And that I think is why KU is a program has had so much success and why I think you've seen Kotelnicki's imprints and even look defensively Brian Borland's imprints come all over the team because he lets those guys coach. And I think maybe a good example of that is you look in the fourth quarter of KU's loss to Texas Tech and they face a, a third and goal and they've got their, their freshman quarterback who hasn't played much in the game and they go to a wildcat and to try and win the game, KU does a passing play with their running back running to his right to throw the ball into the end zone. I don't know many head coaches that would let their offensive coordinator call that in that moment. It didn't work. And I think it's one of the, the points of uh, frustration for KU fans is that play call, but it's a good illustration of the fact that Lance Leipold, he flips back and forth on the headset. It's not, he's always on offense and is always telling cold and Nikki, uh, -uh no, we need to run this. We need to run this. It's more, Hey, let's try and bleed clock on this drive or Hey, let's try and push the ball down the field. It's not, we need to run, you know, outside zone to the, to the, the wide side of the field with so-and-so in the game. That's not how he does it. So cold Nikki has had the ability to do what he wants. And I'm fascinated, fascinated to see how this works with James Franklin. Something else he has waiting here, aside from the new boss, is two quarterbacks who have experience in Big Ten matchups. Now, some of it by injury, but most of it by design or because in, in latent blowouts, we've seen quite a bit of Bo Prabula. He's the team's third leading rusher, six yards per carry, over 300 rushing yards. Got to flash a little bit of, of the arm. He hasn't done much of that. Threw a touchdown mm. uh, last week against Michigan State, but... They've already tried to do the two quarterback thing. It's something that James Franklin was signaling out since the spring that they wanted to do. It's something that we didn't see until deep into the season. And when we did see it, it looked a little clunky at times. Looked as best that it ha as it had back on Black Friday. But with this offensive coordinator coming to town and Andy Kotolinke and, and, and understanding he's done two quarterback stuff, what does it look like at Kansas? And when we're talking about you know former five-star kind of more of a, a pocket presence in, in Drew Aller, mm -hmm. and then this def, definitive dual threat, a guy that if we know anything about him, he can take off and run down the field. What can that do for his playbook here at Penn State? Yeah, I'll be really fascinated to see what he does with that because, you know, obviously Drew's arm is special and you know he's going to use that. But, you know, one way you can unlock that too is getting defense's eyes in the wrong spot. And I feel like that's a, a very common theme of our conversation here. But what you saw Kodanecki do with Jason Bean, who for folks that don't know, like was one of the fastest people in the state of Texas when he was coming out of high school, like his track times were insane. Like we're talking like sub, I believe 10, eight, 100 meter times. Like he's an incredible athlete. Um, and what KU did was they used Bean as kind of a motion piece. And then occasionally they, I think there was one play against K state where Jalen Daniels handed the ball off to Jason Bean and then Bean ran to the left and then threw the ball back to Daniels who then threw it forward. Like it, it gets tricky. And so I think you'll see if he evaluates the both quarterbacks and realizes that, okay, this is a package we can do, that that's something that he will be open to doing. And that's a big thing too. I should probably bring up here is that Kodernicki is very open-minded. He did a, a meeting with every single position group on offense during preseason camp and let every single player come up with a play. And he forced them to explain it, explain the scheme, the concept and what they wanted to accomplish. And then he helped the player work through it, refine it. And if it was good enough, they installed it. And KU used some players plays, I think three or four times this year. 
and they used him multiple times. So this is a guy that's very open-minded. If someone brings an idea to him that works and it fits, he'll do it. And so I think the two quarterbacks set up and scheme is a perfect example of that. Well, James Franklin has used the word collaborative collaboration when describing his offense uh, at a very high rate in the last couple of weeks since firing Mike Yurcich. So I think he, he's going to wrap his arms around continued collaboration if he can get it uh, starting at the top with the offensive coordinator. Let's wrap with this, Michael, um, mm -hmm. from a personality standpoint. We, we addressed it a little bit on, on our on our podcast yesterday because. The big personality is apparent. I think if, if people go and look at, at some of the interviews that are out there, you can kind of pick up on that. Um, but but just finding out a little bit from those who have been around him, it sounds like he's a fit here at Penn State where guys are going to get on each other. They're going to have a little bit of fun talking in that facility. Some of those late days and, and you know early mornings and stuff, you got to survive it. And they have a sense of humor around here. They can be tough on each other sometimes. But I mm -hmm. think at the end of the day, it's a strong camaraderie. What does he bring from that aspect? And and on the day-to-day, -day, we know he also was overseeing the tight ends room at Kansas. Mm -hmm. what, typically, what is his what was his role uh, with the Jayhawks on a day-to-day -day operational from what you understand? Yeah, so obviously super big in the game plan, right? But KU's offensive staff have all kind of been around each other for a long time. So again, collaboration was a big part of that. Um, he did work with the tight ends, and you saw a lot of improvement, right? You saw someone like Mason Fairchild, Go from being an okay blocking tight end to a solid blocker and a guy that's you know all Big Twelve. So he is a very good tight ends coach. Um, in terms of the personality, right? He's a he's a big personality uh, around the facility, and I think even in the meeting room with us, right? He did do weekly press conferences with us and weekly. I, I, yeah, yeah, that's how KU does it. So KU does went Tuesday or Monday, Leipold will talk, and then Wednesday, both coordinators will talk. I don't know how Penn State will do it. Um, if you guys are gonna miss out on some fun stuff with Cole Nicky, if uh, he Michael, we get more weekly, than other beats, we, we, we get more access than other beats. So I, I don't, I don't want to complain, but we typically will get a coordinator maybe five times a year. So we'll make sure we take advantage when that happens. Yeah. Hey, Hey, I know people who, who may see a coordinator once a year, so I'm not going to complain here at happy Valley. I'm, I'm sure there's things that you don't get at, at Kansas that maybe we get around here, but, uh, that, that is interesting to me. So you have a very good scope. I mean, after losses, after wins, we get most of these coordinator things either in the postseason or at mm -hmm. the bowl destination or in the spring mm -hmm. or before the season. There's typically one in the season. So let me focus there. What's he like after yeah. a loss when things aren't going right? How did he handle himself? It, it's very much the same, you know, and I think I'm trying the right way to frame it, you know, yeah. he's good at handling tough questions, doesn't necessarily answer them, but it's also in his right to not answer them. Um, I think this is one of those situations where when you talk to him every week, right, win or loss, I think he's willing to own the things that aren't great and talk about the things that are. And so he's someone that, at least for us, right, in the meeting room, like is very funny, will tell jokes. I mean, we were talking about Thanksgiving side dishes the last time we talked to him. Like he's We've brought been there with James Werther. Franklin. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen some clips of that too, but he brought Werther's Originals in for – like was passing those out one day. Like it's he, as he has gotten more comfortable, you can see his personality more and more. And so I think this season was a very good illustration of that, where he felt very comfortable, rightfully so, right? You've got the title of associate head coach, highest paid coordinator at KU maybe ever. And it showed. So he's someone that is going to be a, a very positive personality. The players are going to love him because he's, he's smart. He listens and he holds people accountable. And I think that's a big thing too, is we get to see practice too. And I've seen a lot of him holding people accountable. That's all for him. We'll see what that looks like here. Uh, as far as we understand it, December is going to be more of an Intel gathering phase uh, for Kotal Nikki. And then I think we'll see some of that holding people accountable on the field uh, come 2024. Thank you so much, Michael, for your perspective. Michael Swain covers Kansas. I, I know basketball season's approaching, but hey, football's doing some good things. This is a sign of, of growth, I think, there. The fact that Penn State wants what they have cooking uh, with this offensive yeah. coordinator. So good luck to you on, on whatever comes in covering from the staff. As you mentioned before we recorded, they got $700,000 to play with all of a sudden and a $1.1 million vacated salary. So someone's going to get paid. Yeah, ain't that right? <laughs> all right. Take care, Michael. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate you. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Let's shift over to Penn State football recruiting now. And in fact, we're going to go heavy into the transfer portal on this conversation. But to begin, we keep the focus on Andy Kotelnicki with Tyler Calvaruso, our resident recruiting expert at lines247.com. Tyler, welcome in. And Michael Swain just filled us in on a lot about Penn State's new offensive coordinator. I know you've been doing some digging about what some quarterback recruits think about him. Just generally, the timing of this offensive coordinator hiring coming the day before Penn State coaches are back out on the recruiting trail, coming three weeks before the early signing period, and at a time when you're really in the thick of it, evaluating junior season film and trying to prioritize your targets for the 2025 cycle. They get it done on a Thursday. Now we're in December. What do you make of that timing? I'd say it probably worked out the best it possibly could have for Penn State in terms of timing. Timing. I mean, you just mentioned, you know, get it. Coaches getting back on the road for recruiting. I mean, you know, he's got to get to know some of these offensive guys. That's going to get the chance. He's going to get the chance to do that when Penn State goes in home with the 2024 commits. It's a good time for him to get the ball rolling on 2025 evaluations, getting to know some of the 2025 offensive commits Penn State already has on board. So definitely a positive for Penn State in terms of timing. And the reception has been a positive as well. I actually just talked to Ethan Grunkmeyer. He's really excited about the hire. Beckham Critz, the 2025 quarterback, he was definitely encouraged by the hire. As far as targets go, Malik Washington, I got the chance to catch up with him briefly, and he's excited to get to know Cole Nicky and learn more about his offense and his potential fit at Penn State. So the early returns are definitely positive, and, I mean, they've been positive widespread. You know, every recruit that I've gotten the chance to talk to, they're excited about this hire. I think James Frank will push the right button here. Yeah, Gronko Myers, I know a lot of people were waiting for that one because that, that's a little more timely. He's just a, about a month, uh, five weeks or so away from joining this quarterback room. Of course, we won't hear from Drew Aller, Bo Perbula, and Jackson Smolk, the current residents of that quarterback room, for a little bit. They might put something out on social media as this announcement goes live. But in terms of hearing from them in a media situation, we will get Drew Aller at some point here in the month of December. When we get to a bowl location, we'll probably at least get Bo Prabula. Depending on the destination, we could get all three quarterbacks because if you reach a New Year's Six Bowl, you get all the freshman availability uh, for those locker rooms as well. But here nor there in terms of the recruiting outlook, uh, what do you think this makes for the uncommitted guys? It's good to hear that that the two guys they have on board for 2024 and 2025 with Kritza, as you mentioned, like the move, are supportive of the move, are embracing the move. How about moving the meter a little bit with the targets out there, knowing full well that most of these guys probably haven't even picked up a phone and spoken with Andy Kotelinki yet? I think it might be most interesting for a guy like Malik Washington when you take into account Kotelinki's scheme. You know, Malik Washington is by no means a runner. You know, he wants to throw the ball first, but he's very athletic, and he can use his legs to make plays when he has to or when he feels that, you know, the opportunity is there. And Kotelinki being a guy who likes to, you know, move the pocket around, he likes quarterbacks to move a little bit, you know, that's kind of one of those fits where you take a look at it and think, hey, look, that could work out really, really well for Penn State, especially when you factor in that Washington has been high on Penn State throughout his process, really going back to when he got the offer from the Nittany Lions last summer. Those relationships in State College have come along really nicely beyond the presence of Mike Gertz. You know, he's gotten comfortable with multiple members of the staff. He's told us on record after the move that, you know, 
the new offensive coordinator hire wasn't going to impact his interest in Penn State, nor would the potential of being in a two-quarterback class with a critter already on board. That's not something that phases him because he feels he's going to have to go in and compete no matter where he's at. So Washington's a guy I think this might really impact him in a positive way, and that would be good for Penn State. I just think, you know, beyond him, maybe Cole Nicky, you know, Panthers has been working the 2025 recruiting trail as well. You know, maybe you take a step back, look at some of the quarterbacks that program has offered. You know, maybe Penn State gets involved there, depending on the evaluations and the collaboration, deciding whether or not they feel he could, you know, be an impact guy in the Big Ten for the Indian Lions. Matt Zollers is another, you know, the in-state spring forward quarterback. We've talked about a bunch recently. It seems like, you know, positive there on this hire, and those two will get to know each other as well. So, yeah, it definitely uh, – it's going to be interesting to see how the relationships form in the coming months. You know, that'll be pivotal. You know, a lot of guys are excited about the hire on the surface, but as they get to know Koto and Nikki, where will things go? That's going to tell the ultimate story of the 2025 class when it's all said and done when it comes to quarterback recruiting. The last time we saw Penn State make, make an offensive coordinator change during the winter of 2021, within a couple of months there, you saw three or four or five new offers go out at the quarterback position. One of them went out to Ohio to Drew Aller, and the rest is history. But let's also recall that that Mike Yurcich in inherited his own quarterback commitment from Kirk Chiraca in the form of Bo Prabula. And in this case, you've got an offensive co coordinator in Andy Kotelnicki inheriting two in two separate cycles, um, Both of yeah, one of which he was about to sign, and then the other has 13 months separating him between now and signing day. So uh, it's going to be a, a lot of catching up between the commits and the offensive coordinator. We will be following all that. Uh, no one more than Tyler Calvaruso. Uh, plenty of coverage coming your way at lines247.com as commits and targets react to this. But let's talk about the other obvious priority that faces uh, Kotal Mickey getting to work here in Happy Valley. And that is, you know, going shopping in that transfer portal and making sure that he has the roster equipped to get it done next year and push for that college football playoff. And most importantly, do everything they can to support Drew Aller for a successful junior season here in State College. So we're starting to see some movement, man. And on the offensive priorities that we discussed last week, offensive line, wide receiver, they're showing through with the earliest confirmed scholarship offers in the transfer portal for this cycle from Penn State. Yeah, and the evaluation process of, I mean, all these guys hitting the portal at warp speed, you know, so Penn State is still very much in evaluation mode, but you've got two offers to, I mean, players who produce at a really high level at their respective colleges, and Penn State is really interested in those two guys. we got to start with the one who has the official visit locked in already, that's Ethan Heron from the Division Two school program, Shorter, who I admittedly never heard of until he popped onto the radar. So in I Georgia, think that kind of speaks to – I hadn't heard of it either. It's down in Georgia. He played high school ball in Georgia. He's a Jamaican native, though. Uh, but, yeah, Shorter shorter College Division Two in Georgia. Yeah, he's got a very interesting background. And you throw on some of that Division Two tape, it's actually pretty impressive the way he dominated that competition. So you could see why Penn State and so many of the Power Five programs are involved. So he's going to be in State College for an official visit during the weekend of, I believe, December. I'm not I got my dates mixed up. December 8th. It's the second weekend of December. It's not this weekend. It's next weekend. I should have just said next weekend. It would have made it easier on myself. But he's going to be in town nonetheless. Texas Tech gets first crack at him on the official visit front this weekend. Then following his trip to Penn State, it's going to be Clemson. So is this going to be another Penn State-Clemson battle like we thought it might be with Andrew Dennis, who wound up at Illinois? You know, maybe that seems possible based on some early buzz, but I don't want to discount Texas Tech. Obviously, he's making it down to Lubbock for a reason, wants to get out there, check out that Big 12 program. But I've heard good things about where Penn State stands earlier. The staff really, really likes him. He might be one of those guys who's probably one of the top portal targets across the board, regardless of position, for the Nittany Lions right now. There's a lot to like about his game. Phil Charlton feels, you know, he's a guy who can bring in, mold him, really develop him, and get him to the next level. So there's a lot of intrigue there. And then on the wide receiver front, you gotta, I mean, you gotta discuss that. I mean, there are so many intriguing names in the portal of the position right now. And Penn State put an offer out to one of them in Jamori Macklin from North Texas. The cousin of Jeremy Macklin, formerly Philly, former Philly Eagles wide out, Kansas City Chiefs, but I mean, this Macklin kick can play, man. 50 plus catches this past season, over a thousand yards. 11 touchdowns. He's really dynamic. And what have we talked about with Penn State's wide receiver room? They want to get more explosive. They want to get more dynamic. They want guys who can make big plays. And Macklin looks like he would be a guy who delivers that at the Power 5 level. Penn State offered yesterday afternoon, shortly after Macklin hit the portal. And I don't know if you were keeping an eye on his Twitter from that point on, but, I mean, it felt like he picked up almost 20 offers by the time the day was over. It was just 
offer after offer coming in for him, and it's definitely not going to end anytime soon because a really good player. So Macklin is definitely a prospect to keep an eye on in the portal. We're going to have to see what happens with him when he starts, you know, looking at visits, where he wants to check out, what his decision timeline is. It's worth noting he's from Missouri, started his career at Missouri, so maybe the SEC returning to the SEC has a little bit of appeal here. He's definitely got opportunities to suit up in the SEC now. So we'll see. But Penn State really likes him at the wide receiver position. We're talking about a team that, that wants to beat Ohio State next year, USC next year. They don't have Michigan on the schedule, but they could earn another shot to play Michigan by the end of next year's schedule. And naturally, there's I think some listeners out there and some of our readers at the site are saying, well, you guys are describing players who have production at the Division II level and the Group of Five level. And you know they're thinking about that Dante Cephas stat sheet that looks so glowing at Kent State. Almost 2,000 receiving yards the last couple of seasons. All Mac performer back-to-back years and wondering what happened this year and where the disconnect was. And obviously we saw an offensive coordinator fired, so that's probably part of the disconnect. But what do you kind of think about Penn State's approach? Do you think it's going to be heavy on finding guys on the upswing? Or do you think there's also going to be some legitimate power five targets out there? And what goes in? That's maybe differently from what you've gathered in the transfer portal here in 2023 in targeting someone who's accomplished it at the power five level versus targeting a guy who's done it division two group of five. You know, I I think it's going to be a mix because there are a lot of power five guys who have, you know, established themselves as legit power five talents in terms of production that are in the portal right now. Penn State's already interested in multiple targets in that regard. You've got power five guys who maybe are younger and didn't get an opportunity to play at the power five level yet, but still just ooze of talent and maybe even have pre-existing relationships with Penn State staff in some cases. So there's intrigue on that front as well. Then you've got, you know, the group of five guys and the division two guys who are definitely going to draw some interest from Penn State as well. You know, we just talked about Macklin. They're, I mean, Colin Lacey from South Alabama had 90 plus catches this past season. So, and that's another guy who, you know, garners a little bit of intrigue. I think, you know, I understand if Penn State fans are a little bit hesitant when it comes to seeing a group of five wide receiver get offered, you know, based on what transpired with Dante Cephas this past season. That might be a little bit of, you know, recency bias working against the group of five wide because Mitch Tinsley came to Penn State and produced just fine for the Nittany Lions. He came over from Western Kentucky, another group of five program. So, you know, not every player is the same. You know, you're not going to get the same output just because it's a group of five receiver going to power five. There are plenty of group of five receivers who are more than capable of making an impact at the power five level in Penn State. You know, I mentioned that they're in evaluation mode. Part of that evaluation mode is throwing on the tape and seeing if these players, specifically at wide receiver, have traits that can translate to production at the power five level. You know, sometimes people get caught up in a wide outs production at the group of five level, but and yes, that's obviously taken into account because you want to bring in a player who has a track record of producing. But at the same time, as Penn State and every other program around the nation evaluates players in the transfer portal, they're also taking traits into account because they want things that they can develop and mold and, you know, really get a guy to kind of reach that next level of his game. So it's production and traits. So I think those are the two points of emphasis for Penn State as they go through evaluating portal players on both sides of the ball. That's similar to the approach last year. You know, I just think Penn State is looking for certain things. Production helps, traits help, and, you know, you you throw those two things together, and Penn State staff likes what it sees in the kid, they're going to offer. This is before your time, uh, and this was early in the transfer portal era, but uh, Penn State brought a Division II All-American in at wide receiver named Weston Carr. Um, and at his previous spot, uh, it was Azusa Pacific uh, out on the West Coast, 1,400-yard season with 15 touchdowns to his credit. Again, All-American at that level. Uh, during his season with Penn State, uh, upon arrival, three catches for 27 yards. So it's hard to make that jump, and we've yeah, seen try, yeah. guys try to do it. At the same time, they've got a second-team All-Big Ten center here in Hunter Norzad, who was at Cornell a couple years ago playing tackle. So we all have also seen – the Arnold Ebicades of the world guy made the jump from group of five proved he belonged at the power five level for years. And in that one season, he turned it into a second round draft pick opportunity with the Atlanta Falcons. So um, just a lot of interesting stuff. You see so many different players with different trajectories. Last year you had a, what you thought was going to be a plug and play situation at cornerback with storm duck at a North Carolina. He didn't stick around. And then you ended up with, with uh, you know, kind of a tuck it away and develop situation with Aldavian Collins, who redshirted during his freshman year at Mississippi State. And then you bring him on board. So 
Tyler, it's also important to note that not every guy is going to be brought in with the intention of pushing for a starting yeah, job exactly. on game one of the 2024 season. But when we talk about that tackle spot, it almost feels like you need to find somebody that you feel like there's going to be an ability for them come August to really make some noise at one of those spots because we're in a situation where Olu Fashionu uh, is down to his last snaps in a Penn State uniform, and Caden Wallace may maybe too. If he decides not to take that sixth year through COVID – and he tries to go off the NFL and, and and capitalizes on his best college football season, then you have to start from scratch in your starting lineup. Maybe not quite from scratch because Drew Shelton has that experience from last year. He's played a bunch this year at both positions, and he fills one of those. You can say you know, there's confidence in him as a starter. But Javen Williams, you know, five-star or not, has only played in three college games, and he's played at the back end of blowouts. Uh, and 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 Jim Diono is you know less along as a prospect in terms of his time in football. So – those two guys could take a major leap in year two, and Javen Williams could be ready to be a starter as a redshirt freshman, or maybe Jim Diono's in that conversation as a redshirt freshman. But those are big ifs to me, and I certainly don't think you can count on feeling that confident just through spring ball. So that spot, just as much as wide receiver almost to me, feels like starter-level talent is, is, is a bit of a necessity if you have your shopping list and say, how do we get – to the college football playoff next year? How do we get to the Big Ten uh, championship this year? What do we need to add on that list? Starting caliber, able to push for a starting role offensive tackle, it, it seems like it would have a pretty prominent placement. I don't want to say the level of experience that you just mentioned is a prerequisite of sorts because Penn State isn't going to say no to a talented underclassman if they want to you know, join the roster. But, I mean, when you factor in the state of the depth chart, it, it kind of has to be in a sense because – Penn State already has enough guy, young guys, young, talented guys with a lot of upside on the roster. You know, so I don't think Phil Trawin is really going out there and looking for guys who, who he can say, hey, look, we'll see you next year after you develop. He's looking well, for they got those guys coming in the, in exactly. the recruiting club. I mean, they're exactly. loaded with, with these intriguing tackle talents that we're saying it's not going to be year one kind of situation, but let's see what year two, year three might look like for a guy like Garrett Sexton. That's exciting stuff, but we're talking about 2024 when Drew Aller's your junior quarterback and Nick Singleton's your junior running back and Katron Allen's alongside him as another junior. It might be the last ride with these kind of guys. Yeah, and you also have to take into account, you know, there have only been two offers on the offensive line since this portal season started. One went out to Keyshawn Blackstock, who's now committed to Arkansas, and the other one has gone out to Ethan Heron as well. So not only is Penn State, you know, doing a deep dive into a lot of guys, but I think they want to make sure they're offering the right guys because they understand that if you bring in a veteran and you expect them to play a big role on your offensive line in 2024 – you want the hit, the likelihood of the get hitting to be pretty high. You want to be pretty confident in the guy that you're taking on. So those two offers are the only ones right now. But I, you know, once things get rolling, I expect more to go out. But Penn State is definitely preferring, I would say, probably a more experienced player at tackle. Again, they're not going to say no if they could, you know, add some really high quality depth, maybe some high upside depth. But I think a more experienced player would be, you know, they would take priority there. Uh, you mentioned a few of those receiver names that, that you're also keeping an eye on. Colin Lacey out of South Carolina, uh, Antoine Wells uh, out of South, uh, I'm sorry, out of South Alabama is, is Lacey. Antoine Wells out of schools, South man. Carolina. There's so many schools and names flying around these days with coaching searches and the transfer portal. And then Dion Bur uh, Burks is, a, is an interesting one, an all Big Ten caliber receiver from, from Purdue hits the portal here. Uh, I mean, is that one that, that, uh, that, that feels like there's going to be a crowd around? And, and do you think that Penn State's worth monitoring? Oh, there's definitely going to be a crowd around that one. I don't know how many, you know, Big Ten proven receivers are going to be hitting the portal this offseason, but Burks is the first, and he's got the eye of a lot of high-level programs. You know, you mentioned Avante Wells, and, you know, Juice Wells, he's, he's an interesting one to me because, you know, his career at South Carolina, he was a first-team All-SEC wideout in 2022, dealt with injuries throughout 2023, only wound up playing in three games, you know. There are whispers about the way things ended there for him, you know, in terms of NIL and stuff on that front. So, you know, I'm sure that's something that all the programs that get involved with him are going to be betting. But one thing that is interesting with Juice Wells is he's from Virginia. He played at Highland Springs, and that is a program Penn State is plenty familiar with on the recruiting trail. So he might be worth keeping an eye on at this point. I mean, he's proven himself to be a high-level power wide receiver. You know, you don't become an all-SEC selection if you're not going out there and balling out on Saturday. So Juice Wells wants to keep an eye on. There are a lot, man. It seems like, you know, by the time we get done with this episode, there's going to be like three be or four more. 
high quality wideouts hitting the portal. I mean, just before we hopped on, Rico Flores from Notre Dame, he was their top receiver this season. He's entering the portal following the firing of their wide receiver coach. So there's just so much movement. And I'd say, you know, we could wait and see how things are when things settle down, but I don't think things are going to settle down. So, you know, we just have to play it as it is because transfer portal, it's even more fluid than high school recruiting, which says a lot. And it, and, it's, and it draws me back to high school recruiting because I saw Chris Tyree hit the portal at Notre Dame, one of their receivers. I remember when Penn State was prioritizing him as a running back recruit, when they were recruiting all these Virginia running backs year after year, Ricky Slade and Devin Ford. And he would seem like he might end up being as part of that procession. It didn't happen. And he ended up playing wide receiver at Notre Dame. And then Bo Collins, you know, a, a California native who spent the last few seasons with Clemson hits the portal. And I remember chatting with him after a visit to Happy Valley where he was talking about trying to return for an official visit. That never happened, but you're just kind of taken back and it's the networking of college football comes into play here and, and you brought up uh the, the fact that this guy's from virginia well taylor stubblefield's from virginia and taylor stubblefield i'd imagine has a notebook of names right now that he is eager to get involved with because he did not have a hand in adding a single scholarship piece of this receiver room that has been under a lot of scrutiny and i'm sure he's applied a lot of scrutiny to that room himself but whether or not you know he loves some of these homegrown talents or whether he's been turned off by the room in some ways, I don't know. But I think that he has to have some names that he feels like is going to put a little bit of more of a personal impact on this receiver room. Because as we said last episode, Josiah Brown is the only January enrollee coming in from that freshman class as of right now at wide receiver, and he's recovering from an injury. So when we're looking around a group that's going to hit this uh, the, the practice field this spring with the new offensive coordinator – and a returning quarterback, and you want to maximize those 15 practice periods, what is Marcus Higgins bringing to town at wide receiver beyond what he's trying to cultivate that's already on campus? You know, I just really feel like he's trying. He's looking at what's out there in the portal. He's looking at guys who he has had previous relationships with. You know, going back to when he was at Virginia, there are some guys in the portal who picked up offers from Higgins while he was at Virginia. So that's something to keep in mind here as Penn State goes about targeting wideouts in the portal. I really think he's just not necessarily looking to overturn the entire room because there are obviously already some talented players in Penn State's wide receiver room that he inherited from Taylor Stubblefield. But, you know, there is a need for talent at the position. And, you know, not every receiver who's currently on the roster, the odds are, you know, not all those guys are going to be back next season. You know, that's just the nature of the portal. So there's the opportunity to add fresh talent at the position. And I think Hagan's is just going to be looking for guys who have either proven themselves to be dynamic or, you know, have the potential to be dynamic and explosive. I know I keep using those buzzwords, but that's really what it comes down to because Penn State wants guys who can hit home runs and, you know, provide the big play element that the, in the passing game that this offense was really lacking throughout 2023. That was probably a hindrance to the offense throughout the year, if we're being honest. Probably. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it really limited the potential of the unit when you just didn't have a ton of guys who were generating set of separation consistently and, you know, be providing the home run threat that Penn State's offense needs. So Higgins is going to be targeting guys like that. And you, you mentioned it with guys like Bo Collins as well. You know, Penn State has targeted some high-level wideouts in the past. Granted, that was before Higgins' time. But, you know, maybe say, hey, look, we were involved with this guy in the past. You might not have been here, but check out his film. Tell us what you think. And, you know, maybe we get involved there as well. Chris Tyree, you know, people talk about – people want, you know, the big get in the portal, right? They want the potential star wideout. You also need some really quality depth as well. We always talk about quality depth on the offensive line, the defensive line. You definitely need it at receiver too. So is a guy like Chris Tyree, you know, he's, maybe he's not one of those guys who's going to come to be a number one or number two receiver for you. But if you do go after him, he could definitely give you some quality depth. He was praised as a good locker room guy throughout his time at Notre Dame. You know, he provided something in the return game for the Fighting Irish, and he's a veteran. So maybe a guy like that is a qual potential quality addition. Bo Collins – you know, he's, he's got a ton of talent. I remember him as a recruit. That, that guy can play. So it's just – it's a lot of different avenues that Penn State is exploring at wide receiver. And it's going to make for a fun offseason in the portal because that Macklin offer, definitely not going to be the last one Hagen throws out. We'll be keeping tabs on it. And, Tyler, along the way, Penn State is, is trying to balance that recruiting class. Uh, it doesn't feel like they're at risk of, of losing guys. And they're in good shape in terms of mm -hmm. staff relationships right now, although – We'll always monitor the staff every day of December. You just never know with college football. Manny Diaz is at the forefront of that right now. But when it comes to, to locking up this 2024 class of high school talent and, and bringing in a freshman class next year that's able to contribute, um, 
what are we looking at here? Uh, it, it's We're down to just a few weeks before that early signing period. And coaches are back on the recruiting trail today, and they will be for the next few. What's happening right now, and why is it important? At this point in the cycle, you know, it's kind of like opposite of last cycle where there was a lot of buzz on the flip front, you know, both incoming and outgoing. You know, KB on keys, Penn State was working him at this point. You know, Conrad Hussey had his flirtations with Miami and Florida State before ultimately winding up at FSU. So it's kind of a little bit different in that sense this year because there's not that kind of buzz. You know, Penn State's 2024 class, the guys they have in there right now, they're very solid. Penn State's expecting to sign all those guys during the early signing period. They're definitely still working, you know, on some guys who have commitments out elsewhere right now. So, you know, you have the potential to go in home with those guys now that you're able to get back out on the road. But, you know, the recent intel and buzz hasn't really indicated that any flips are likely right now. And as of right now, I haven't heard anything regarding Penn State getting a 2024s in town for official visits in December. That's something we're obviously going to be keeping a really close eye on as the days goes on because that story can change really, really quickly. But that's the way things are right now. So we're just going to have to see what comes about leading up to the early signing period. When it comes to Penn State's 2024 class, things are looking really good there. The staff's going to be out on the road checking in with those guys now that they have the opportunity to do so. And that's a class that, as of right now, has 25 players on board, uh, number 13 ranked nationally. And we're going to get a chance to hear from one of the top members of that group on our next episode of this podcast as we start to really set up for these early enrollees. If you've listened to this podcast for several years now, you know that December for us means a lot of conversations with some of those incoming early enrollees. We're going to continue that theme this month. Um, and I know Tyler's pretty fired up to get some of these recruits on the show as well. Hey, man, we, we appreciate your perspective on the portal, on recruiting. It's happening 24-7 over at Lions 24-7 from you, um, not just here on the podcast for the segments we get you on, but you'll be hearing from Tyler on the portal very soon on the podcast, I'd imagine. We're going to do our best to handle uh, all the breaking news and some of these new targets that are, are going out on a daily basis. And just stick with us on our coverage on Monday, folks, not just at Lions 24-7, but across this 24-7 sports network. It is a full-fledged postseason transfer portal period wide open everybody's welcome to the party uh players can dive in up to this point the players you've seen entering the portal have been grad transfers who've already graduated from college you've got the division two players guys coming up from different levels lower levels of football and then you've got players whose head coach has either left or been fired and so they have that opportunity so just a little bit out there but tyler we're about to get to some serious work come monday and i appreciate everything you do yeah i'll close with this for the Penn State fans listening right now, if you think it's been crazy so far in the portal, just just wait until Monday. It's going to get ratcheted up times 10. So gear up for that. You better get some sleep, man. Uh, nah. Make the most of this weekend. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right, man. Later. Great stuff, as always, from Tyler Calvariso. Before him, we had Michael Swain on to break down Penn State's offensive coordinator hire. If you missed our Thursday episode of this show, we spent 40 minutes exclusively focusing on the hiring of Andy Kotelnicki with Mark Brennan, with Daniel Gallen, breaking down the news as it was uh, surfaced and, and, and really the impact that we anticipate for Penn State here in the coming weeks and ultimately going into 2024. Plenty more coverage on the addition of Kotelnicki over at lines247.com, along with the latest on the transfer portal and the recruiting trail. A lot happening over at the site right now. 30% off an annual subscription, $1 for one month if you want to take a look during a busy December. For now, stepping aside from this special Friday edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast, I am Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for listening.